back office. <laughs> Sleepy time podcast lounge. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy after moving all that moving <laughs> around. Sliding. It's like a what are those uh, puzzles called? We have to like, move one thing to push the, the other one forward. It's like a little square, and they're all yeah. like little tiles, but you can't move one tile without moving like all the rest of them. It's like one open space. It's like slide, slide, slide. There's like a bunch of stupid games that are being advertised that are like that. Oh, just like, like digital worse. games or yeah, whatever? Yeah, digital games. Were... <clears throat> sure, yeah. Some character gets burned alive if you do it in the wrong order or something. Oh, yeah, no, I've got yeah. those ads, yeah. Yeah. Homescapes. Tyler and Lenny Show has been sponsored by Homescapes. <laughs> Oh wait! Last week we and you just called it the Tyler and Lenny show, but it's the Lenny and Tyler show. And last week, <laughs> last week we said, I noticed that afterwards because I said I'm Tyler and, and I'm Lenny and I'm Lenny, and then we said this is the Tyler Ty- and Lenny, show. but it's the Lenny and Tyler show. Is it? The, oh, okay, it's the Lenny and Tyler <laughs> show. I mean, it's the Lenny and Tyler show. <laughs> At least we're consistent about that. <laughs> Which, by the way, the. On our first episode, when we did that, it was not planned at all. Right, and yeah. now... I'm just running with it. So, it's tradition now. Tradition. It has to be that way. Um, what are we talking about? I think we could check in with the Jaxie Minute. Aye. The minute of the show that Jaxie reviews the previous podcast for 60 seconds. Love it. Hey guys, the Jaxie Minute. Um, it's been a pretty somber week this week. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, you know that my dear, dear friends lost their eight-year-old boy um, in a really tragic car accident, and that has been a heavy, heavy thing. Um, it's caused a lot of deep, really hard discussions with um, myself and my kids. Um, my oldest son was very best friends with their son. So as you can imagine, this has been um, really, really hard to wade through. Um, but there's good in, in a lot of things and having these hard conversations has been good and looking at your life, looking at our priorities and just asking ourselves, does this line up with what we really want, with who we want to be and, uh, and reprioritizing so that everything we know we need and we are about fits within that. So not a lot to do with Tyler and Lenny's episode, but really important to say. So anyway... Thanks, guys. Oh, thanks, Jaxie. Yeah. Thanks for... It's a good thing we didn't do the thing where we cut out and we don't have the audio and then we just laugh at the end to be like, oh, thanks for that minute. I'm glad we actually listened to this one live. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something we kind of talked about previously with the COVID shutdown stuff is that those things that shake us up are really important to help us realign what we're doing with what we want to be doing yeah and we're kind of we're kind of it's easy to slip away from those things when everything's peachy yeah that's actually somewhat tied into maybe some of the things i've been thinking about this week um so yeah let's maybe jump into that i'm trying to think of what the best way into it is uh, let's see. This last week, I was listening to um, Martin Luther King's uh, letter from Birmingham Jail, and 
I'd like to go back and listen to it again, maybe read it and take notes on it too. But there was a just a part where he quoted T.S. Eliot, and the quote is, um, the final temptation and the greatest betrayal is to do the right deed for the wrong reason. Mm. And so that stuck out to me as like being like, that sounds true. I don't know why it's true. I need yeah. to like think on that some more. And then, and then a few hours later I was at home and I, um, turned on interstellar, like oh, yeah. my favorite movie, maybe of all time. Um, best theater experience I've, I've ever had. And, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character in the beginning, he's trying to decide between going and taking this mission to try to save humanity, to pilot this spaceship that's going off to go through this wormhole near Saturn. And if he does, he'll leave behind his family. But if he doesn't go, they won't have an experienced pilot. And um, so he's choosing between saving humanity and and being there his for family. his father mm -hmm. or being there for his kids and fathering his kids and uh john lithgow's character who plays the the father of his dead wife of mcconaughey's dead wife is sitting there outside the house and he says he says cooper uh don't trust the what is it don't don't trust the right thing if it's done for the wrong reason oh funny just right after that yeah and he, he says, it's the why of the thing that matters. And so then I, like, had to pause the movie and just, like, think yeah. and start and, like, try to pull it apart in the context of Interstellar. And then as I'm watching the movie, it seems like it just revolves around this idea again and again where people are doing the wrong thing, but kind of with some right motivations behind them. Like Dr. Brand, who's played by... Uh, uh, Michael Caine, like, he lies um, and tells, you know, McConaughey and everybody that he's going to, that he will solve the problem of gravity. And so plan A of getting everybody off the planet will eventually, will succeed by the time McConaughey gets back. He gives him his, I give you my wood. And, <laughs> and but then, but, but then we find out later that he had already realized that it was impossible like years and years before and so he, he did the wrong thing he lied but kind of with some right reasons of like wanting to continue the human race which actually that's kind of interesting to even think about too of like should like at what cost <laughs> yeah or, yeah but anyways i don't want to i don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet maybe maybe sometime but uh and then, you know, like, uh, later in the movie, uh, Matt Damon's character says, you know, he betrays everybody, and so he does the wrong thing. He is going to, like, he's going to abandon everybody on this planet that he was on that was this crappy planet, just a death planet that had no chance of human survival living on, living on that. And he's like... I am doing this for the sake of all mankind. Like, yeah. and right when he does that, then he dies. He <laughs> blows up. He doesn't dock properly to the, to the space station. And, and he, 
and so he dies, and <clears throat> claiming to do the right thing, but with the wrong reason. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I would. It's almost like you can look at it two, mm, two different yeah, ways. Like yeah. he betrays them. That's the wrong thing. Yeah. He, Maybe to, uh, for the reason of saving humanity. Saving humanity, right? So the question I have is like, how do we do the right thing for the right reason? How do we come to know what the yeah. right thing? What? How do we come to know what is right or wrong? Mm-hmm. And then how do we know whether we've done it for the, the right reason or the wrong reason? <laughs> or just. And I, I have some thoughts on this, but if you yeah. have, if you want to jump in, I mean, first. that's just like also just the the trap of religion is that you know you're suddenly doing all the right the right things, mm-hmm. and your reasons behind them have like all crumbled to really terrible reasons for yeah. doing the right things the correct way the yeah. the true path, um, but all the heart behind why any of those rules were there in the first place has just been betrayed. I guess the. Um, and then what the cost of the human race is kind of what made me think of this too was the in Time Machine from um, H.G. Wells right uh-huh. and how they the hum, humanity survives in like two separate modes like one of them is like stupid and just self-seeking on the surface and it's like they have like no intelligence and they just like eat and screw and whatever but <laughs> okay. and then there's the ones that survived with like some intelligence that went underground but they only do it by like going up and like eating the ones that are on the surface and then going back down but they can't like live in the light they have to live in the dark all the time oh. just that yeah i was like what well, i just when you said like what's the cost of saving humanity it makes it kind of you know wonder like think about that too huh um that kind of is a, is a rabbit trail but okay okay so i was I was thinking of, okay, how do we come to know right and wrong? And I, I kind of would say, and more and more, because mm-hmm. I'm becoming more and more orthodox and Christian, <laughs> and Christian yes. like, that it is God's word. That, sure. that we come... Well, the, the very first couple chapters is that question. Yes. There's like... This is what I want to talk a, about. Yeah, yeah. There's like, okay, so you can do whatever you want, except yep. for this one thing. Yes. And then the one thing is knowing good and evil right the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong rather than like trusting something else to either teach you that or like help you define that or derive that yeah and that idea like taking that for ourselves we took this burden or weight of knowing what's right and wrong or deciding what's right and wrong yeah onto ourselves which at least according to like the biblical text seems like it wasn't supposed to be our burden really right you think about animals like animals do stuff without weighing the rightness or wrongness of that all the time you know that's just like that's one of the major differences it seems like between animals and people is the sense of morality almost you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. so the right thing to do according to god is don't eat you can do everything but don't like it's all permitted except for this one thing so adhering to that was According, yeah, would according to him, right would be the right thing, mm-hmm. right? So then um, they could, so going back to this T.S. Eliot quote, it's kind of like, okay, so they could adhere to the right thing and do it for the right reason, or what would it look like if they did it for the wrong reason? So what would that look So I think that doing it for the right reason would be, I'm going to adhere to this law that, God has made this one thing that I'm that's off limits to me. Yeah. Because I trust that God is good. Right. 
doing it for the wrong reason might look like I'm going to adhere to this one thing because I'm afraid. So I don't get in trouble. God <laughs> is, is going to punish me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're afraid that yeah, maybe not God's not good. Yeah, or, or He will have the the punishment for your actions is yeah more severe than you wish to bear. Yeah. I just think things so into this the knowledge of good and evil. You know the like. And, like, religion is, like, so much based around that, too. It's, like, religion is based around the knowledge of good and evil. Like, what is right? What is yeah. wrong? Yeah. And it's almost like, that's not even supposed to be our job. Like, <laughs> if we take that very literally as the text, is like, deciding that and judging, like, judging what's right and judging what's wrong almost seems like it wasn't supposed to be a burden that we were supposed to even have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. interesting. And, and that religion all forms around writing those lines in the sand of what's right and what's wrong and it's like maybe it's kind of self-defeating in that way that yeah it's practicing a thing that wasn't supposed to be a <laughs> pastime anyway yeah well but i wouldn't it come down to whether you believe that it's men that are making up like what we find in jewish scriptures or it's actually actually coming from a divine source, source. through that yeah yeah yeah, because if it is that, then I think then you then we so if we trust that it actually is from God, then it then that burden isn't on us to decide what is right and wrong. Then we can look to it. And that's what I say. It's so funny about religion is that, like it seems to be obsessed with defining that. Yeah, and it's like we're like in one way claiming to follow God by defining that, but it also seems like we're not supposed to define that. You know, I yeah. think a lot about like. Jesus' message about being forgiveness and and how he judged people. And pretty much the only people that he does come down hard on is the religious leaders. And he's just like, you're whitewashed tombs. You appear... Like, everybody thinks you are righteous and it's the opposite. Yeah. And everybody who seems, you know, like, untrustworthy. Dirty, dirty yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's, he's like, the, these people all have value that has been missed. And so... And then also, like, forgive so that you get forgiven. So it's not even like what's right and what's wrong it's like forgiveness and love and those things which lots of times i think kind of maybe sometimes clash with what's right you know like if someone breaks your stuff and then they don't pay for it and you just forgive them for it that doesn't seem like right or justice maybe like hasn't been done but like forgiveness is somehow like more important and trumps that that what's right and what's wrong in that scenario Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's supposed to be our image for the character of god too not that we should be viewing him as the yeah. giant right and wrong <laughs> figure but that and, he has but mercy yet, but where does like the what but to, how do we ever say that even forgiveness is right or even just like the, the idea like oh you plant a seed and something grows you know like there are it's like there's some causality for sure that we would have had to become aware of you yeah. know yeah yeah if i step on a flower the, it dies so there's like things that this leads to this, you yeah. know, and but yeah, it's interesting thing. But what do you think of that? Uh, you know, the the idea of doing the right thing for the for and with the right reasons. And so, in the case, uh, like in yeah. the case of the garden, it would have been that they didn't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil because they trusted that God right. was good. Right. That to me would be like that's what we. That kind that's, of that's thing is what we should be right. striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that does, and that totally comes down to how you view God, yeah, or the universe or whatever it is. If it's if it's a very entropic, 
you know, evolve or die type yeah. scenario, then that changes how much you can trust that yeah. universe. But if there's a universe that's like is full of generosity and full of goodness and full of enough, then it's easier to trust that view of it than yeah. And that yeah, I don't know. How you... And and th- this is where uh, okay. Now let's let's move over to some Chesterton because I think this might be a, a nice place to dive into him where there's there's two uh essays of his that i've really enjoyed um one of them is uh it's called the diabolist or the diabolist maybe um (laughs) this is a little off topic but at the beginning he says um uh he he was going to art school um he was actually a good artist too and he said uh People at art school either do an atrocious amount of work or do no work at all. <laughs> I belonged, along with other charming people, to the latter class. <laughs> and this threw me often into a society of men who were very different from myself and who were idle for reasons very different from mine. I was idle because I was very much occupied. I was engaged about that time in discovering to my own extreme and lasting astonishment that I was not an atheist. Um... And I'll skip ahead. I just thought that was so funny, though. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> the two, <laughs> either an atrocious amount of work it's or so no work. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Okay, then he talks about how um, he, he kind of says something like, in one of the differences between men and women, which I don't know if this is necessarily true, but kind of like, broadly speaking, like men a lot of times go in packs of three. Whereas women go in packs of two and he's like, the three kind of get, get into trouble together and stuff. And like, they're a bunch of rascals. And then he's like, but of the three, there will always be one who kind of rises above the other two and can have like intelligent conversations with any, anybody who kind of comes along. And so Chesterton befriended one of these guys who was, who was kind of a pack of three. And he was this guy who, uh, um, it was, you know, kind of like a higher bourgeois class, but like had fell in with these other two guys and like fallen in with this art school, art school uh, who were going to art school, but not doing anything Mm -hmm. and kind of living this debauched lifestyle, I guess. And so he and this guy talk a lot about, they get together and they talk a lot about philosophy and theology and architecture and art and stuff. And, uh, he says, He says here um, in one conversation that uh, the man asked me abruptly why I was becoming orthodox. Until he had said it, I really had not known that I was. But the moment he said it, I knew that it, I knew it to be literally true. And the process had been so long and full that I answered him at once, out of existing stores of explanation. I am becoming orthodox, I said, because... I have come, rightly or wrongly, after stretching my brain till it bursts, to the old belief that heresy is worse even than sin. Which I would say that the way he's talking about heresy here is like a perverted way of viewing the world apart from God's, uh, what we find in God's word. So. Sure, yeah. uh, let's, Let's go with that for now. Yeah. And I would say that just based on having read his book, Heretics. That okay. That's, that's kind of... So he says, an error is 
an error is more menacing than a crime, for an error begets crimes. So actually, I'm, I'm just going to skip down a little bit. Um, he says, the, the friend says to him, but why do you care about morality? Why do you care about right and wrong? Um, and he says, Chesterton says, I glanced at his face quickly. He had thrust his thrust out his neck as he had a trick of doing, and so brought his face abruptly into the light of the bonfire from below. Like a face in the footlights, his long chin and high cheekbones were lit up infernally from underneath, so that he looked like a fiend staring down into the flaming pit. I had an unmeaning sense of being tempted in a wilderness, and even <clears throat> as I paused, a burst of red sparks broke past. So it's kind of this like... Ooh, like, uh, yeah. This guy's kind of <laughs> questioning him, yes. like, how? Do, why do you care so much about yeah, right and wrong? Yeah. And like the uh, fire is lighting uh, up underneath his face. And he and Chesterton says, "Aren't those sparks splendid?" Yes, he replied. That is all I ask you to admit," said I. "Give me those few red sparks, and I will deduce Christian morality. Once I thought like you." that one's pleasure in a flying spark was a thing that could come and go with that spark. Once I thought that the, that the delight was as free as the fire. Once I thought that red star we see was alone in space. But now I know that the red star is only the apex of an invisible pyramid of virtues. That the red fire is only the flower on a stalk of living habits, which you cannot see. Only because your mother made, made you say thank you for a bun, are you now able to thank nature, or chaos, for those red stars of an instant, or for the white stars of all time? Only because you were humble before fireworks on the 5th of November, do you now enjoy any fireworks that you chance to see? You only like them being red because you were told about the blood of the martyrs. You only like them being bright because brightness is a glory. That flame flowered out of virtues and it will fade with virtues. Seduce a woman, and that spark will be less bright. Shed blood, and that spark will be less red. Be really bad, and they will be to you like the spots on a wallpaper. He says, He had a horrible fairness of the intellect that made me despair of his soul. A common, harmless atheist would have denied that religion produced humility, or humility a simple joy. But he admitted both. He only said, But shall I not find in evil a life of its own? Granted that for every woman I ruin, one of those red sparks will go out. Will not the expanding pleasure of ruin? <laughs> and Chesterton says, Do you see that fire, I asked? If we had a real fighting democracy, someone would burn you in it, like the devil worshiper that you are. Perhaps, he said, in his tired, fair way, only what you call evil... I call good. He went down the great steps alone, and I felt as if I wanted the steps swept and cleaned. I followed later, and as I went to find my hat in the low, dark passage where it hung, I suddenly heard his voice again, but the words were inaudible. I stopped, startled. Then I heard the voice of one of the vilest of his associates saying, Nobody can possibly know. And... Then I heard those two or three words which I remember in every syllable and cannot forget. I heard the diabolist say, I tell you, I have done everything else. If I do that, I shan't know the difference between right and wrong.
I rushed out without daring to pause, and as I passed the fire I did not know whether it was hell or the furious love of God. I have since heard that he died. It may be said, I think, that he committed suicide, though he did it with the tools of pleasure, not with the tools of pain. God help him. I know the road he went, but I have never known or even dared to think what was that place at which he stopped and refrained. So I kind of read more than I probably needed to there. but no, that's interesting. The, the main point, though, and so much of Chesterton is about, the, like, the reason you can even appreciate anything at all is because of orthodoxy. It's mm. because of tradition. It's because we have stories that are taught to us. Otherwise we down. wouldn't have learned those appreciations. Yeah. And I could see that being true of, you know, like a, a child who gets everything they ever ask for. Um, or, you know, who, sorry, somebody's coming no, into the yeah. gallery. Uh, one, one second, we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. So, okay. The only reason we can appreciate anything is because... Because... From tradition. Yeah, like, like, we are grateful for something because our mom taught us to be grateful to to say thank you and please at the dinner table would be, like, mm -hmm. one of his arguments there. I wonder if that's something, though, that can be like doing the right thing for the wrong reasons like you just do it out of habit and programming like behaviorism rather than doing it from a heart of thankfulness or heart of gratefulness yeah you just have it programmed because you're yeah, maybe because you're afraid of the punishment that comes if you don't do that yeah, or yeah well yeah and that whole t.s Eliot thing made me think of the prodigal son story of i think a good example of somebody doing the right thing but for the wrong reasons would be the first or the older brother in the prodigal story mm -hmm. who, right know, yeah, he, he stays, stays home right. he, but he's maybe doing it out of spite for the other yeah, for the younger brother yeah. who left or you know uh, it's hard to say what his motivations mm -hmm. were but it definitely wasn't out of a loving devotion yeah. to his father and i think you brought up is you were maybe a couple times this week the story of the father and the two sons were or the, yeah i think it's two sons where he's like hey, could you go do this thing? And the first son's like, no, I'm too busy, go away. And then he goes to the second son, and he's like, yeah, I'll totally do it. And then after a bit, the first son's like, oh, I should really go do that thing. And so he goes and does it. And then the second son, is, uh, who said he would do it, just ditches on, yeah. just doesn't do it. And then says so like, who did the father's will, right? Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. one did the father's will? The one that said he wasn't going to, but still ended up doing it? Or the one that, Yeah. which is almost like... I hate to like blow that up larger than it deserves, but it's it's almost like a salvation story in itself. It was like the people that did the right things for the wrong reasons versus the people <laughs> did the wrong things for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. But and I know uh, Lewis has that too. Kind of at the end of his Narnia series, you have everybody who's following Aslan but doing atrocities still goes to, you know, mm. with all of the, like, falls into the darkness with all the enemies okay. of Narnia. And then you have a few people that were, like, dedicated to Tash, I think is the other Yeah, deity. I forget. Yeah, some, like, vulture deity thing or whatever. And, uh, but the ones that, like, did it out of, like, all of the honorable reasons mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. follow and to, you know, do justly and all those things that they end up finding themselves in Aslan's mm -hmm. camp and they're, he's right. like, you were worshipping me without yeah. knowing you were worshiping yeah, me, that, yeah that idea yeah you were always loyal to me you just mm -hmm. didn't know you it. didn't know it yeah and yeah. then in, in 
reverse the people that were doing yeah. atrocities were always loyal to Tash, yeah. even though they were doing it in the name of something else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's real easy to, this kind of, the, this, uh, the father telling to the two sons to go do something. One says, no, I won't do it, but then he actually but then he actually goes and does it and the other says yep I'll do it and then never does it's kind of like it also is really tied to this um, aesthetics and uh, substance or form and function mm. it, it seems like yeah it seems like everything comes comes back to that a lot of that we can appear one way it's like appearances versus substance yeah, substance. yeah yeah and so how do we and I, think, what's more important yeah. is the substance yeah. it's not yeah, that's <laughs> way, yeah the substance is way more important and <laughs> it feels like religion does a really good job of having appearance yeah on the forefront you know yeah. make sure nothing looks like it's wrong make sure nothing appears yeah off or out of balance or all these things but then you end up the substance ends up cracking or crumbling in some way underneath keeping that appearance up of correctness and it it, actually the scriptures are talking about that so much where even in Isaiah I forget which one where it is like 58 or something where it's like hey is do you think that I care about your like praying (laughs) you're like praying in the streets and like you're um the different ways that you signal to other others how virtuous you are yeah. or do i care that you um or or is not what i care about that you serve the homeless and like the widow and, and the, the widow yeah the yeah. widow and the orphan yeah. and, like that you break every chain of injustice like mm-hmm. i forget all the things that it says but it's just amazing how that gets repeated yeah again and again and again so yeah and then the the one last thing that I um, would maybe tie some of this back to would be when I talked with Alan Hodges um, you know about truth and he's like saying yeah the thing is is that truth isn't an idea it's a person and so to, to, you know, when Pilate says, what is the truth? It's actually getting to know the person of, of Jesus is the Christian idea. And it made Based me... Based out of the passage that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So it's like identifying yeah. Jesus as... I am the truth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of making way more sense to me in, in life of just as I... Like, as I get to know you, or as I get to know, as I do life alongside mm. Daniel or Jesse or whoever, it's like that idea of truth as a person and a relationship makes so much more sense than, like, reading, just studying Well, yeah, because then, then you're almost saying that only intellectual philosophers can find god or find truth you know yeah if it only can be found but but if it can be found in relationship any relationship that you have then that you know that barrier to understanding god is so much lower you know like a someone who's very simple can understand you know forgiving a friend or loving their neighbor or these 
concepts that are maybe difficult concepts but are very simple to simple in understanding you know? mm-hmm. yeah we can understand it when we see it especially mm-hmm. in people who yeah who are christ followers mm-hmm. you know like even though we might not be able to like write down or articulate really clearly what we what we believe but we know the truth when we mm-hmm. see it that oh evil repaid with kindness is the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's something special. It's something <laughs> yeah. crazy and universe-breaking. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, so this idea of, <clears throat> of truth being a person, then um, all of a sudden it it made me think back to one of Kierkegaard's um, journal entries from when he was real young before he wrote very many of his things. And he, he kind of is talking about like, you know, what would, what good would it do me if I knew all of these, if I, I think we actually read it a Mm -hmm. a few podcasts back. Like if I, what, what good would it do me if I knew, uh, you know, all the philosophies so well that I could point out all the errors in them and, um, all the contradictions if, if I had to. And, and if I knew, if I was so smart that I could, you know, put, put, before men like a theory of the state mm. of like how to govern how to how to organize men if truth didn't didn't touch me at my soul level basically what paul's saying with like what good would it do me if if i can speak in the tongue of angels and yet if i do not have love i'm nothing but a clanging door or symbol or something yeah, yeah but then kierkegaard says um, what good would it do me if truth stood before me cold and naked and produced in me merely a shudder instead of a loving devotion, a loving, trusting devotion, something like that? If truth is a person in Christ, and he says, if truth stood before me cold and naked, and you think of like Christ on the cross, dead on the crucifix dead cold naked and does that produce in us a shudder or does it produce in us a trusting devotion mm. to the to the love of god yeah and then even also is the other the other scripture i think is very salvation based one where it's like hey when i was cold and you gave me clothes and when i was hungry and you fed me oh man that was like they're like, when did we see you? That, well, that We never did that to you. And he's like, oh, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then the opposite one, the people that said, Lord, Lord. Because like, those are the people that like, had, didn't even know him. But he's like, oh, yeah, I know you know me. And then the people that are like, Lord, Lord, we did all of these things in your name. Like, all the right things for apparently the wrong reasons. Because he goes, I never knew you. He, the, he's like, you never fed me when I was hungry. You never helped me out. And they're like, when did we see you? Like, tell us when we missed the chance to help you and he's like when you didn't do it to the least of these you didn't yeah. do it unto me and i think that should be i mean that that should be like a staggering scripture for anybody who is very religious i would think yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the idea that like doing all of these things casting out demons and like all of these things in in the name of jesus he says he doesn't he didn't even know them you know yeah. and so it's like what what are our actions producing in us? And yeah, I don't know. It's, 
Yeah, that's enough to. That should scare us all. Yeah. A bit. Yeah, and to me, that's just that same story of like the almost like the brothers, you know, where it's like one of them is like, no, I don't want to, and then but actually does it, and the people that are like, no, we're totally doing it, all the right things, all the right things for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we will earn our glory. Yeah. Mm. Okay, one last little bit from. Uh, Chesterton, I don't think this will take as long. Uh, this, this is funny. He goes to a. Oh, I guess we're kind of long on time. Was there? Maybe I could save this for later. Is there uh, anything you wanted? I there? think that's good. Let's go and do this, and we can call out a rat. Okay. So this is on jury duty. Uh, oh, the twelve men. So. Um. The other day, while I was meditating on morality and Mr. H. Pitt, I was, so to speak, snatched up and put into a jury box to try people. The snatching took some weeks, but to me it seemed sudden and arbitrary. I was put into this box because I lived in Battersea, and my name began with a C. Looking round me, I saw that there were also summoned and in attendance in the court whole crowds and processions of men, all of whom lived in Battersea and all of whose names began with a C. It seems that they always summon jurymen in this sweeping alphabetical way. At one official blow, so to speak, Battersea is denuded of all its C's, and left to get on as best it can with the rest of the alphabet. <laughs> a cumber patch is missing from one street, a chisel pop from another, three Chucksterfields from Chucksterfield House. The children are crying out for an absent cadger boy. The woman at the street corner is weeping for her coffin top, and will not be comforted. Well, we settle down with a rollicking ease into our seats, for we are a bold, devil-may-care race, the seas of Battersea. <laughs> uh, and then they get sworn in and all that kind of thing, and they try a few cases, and then this woman is brought before them, and uh, whose case they're to try, and his heart just breaks for her. She's this battered woman, um, and something in him really stirs, and and uh, he begins to realize the importance of the jury system as it is. And um, he says, uh, The trend of our epoch up to this time has been consistently towards socialism and professionalism. We tend to have trained soldiers because they fight better, trained singers because they sing better, trained dancers because they dance better, specially instructed laughers because they laugh better, and so on and so on. The principle has been applied to law and politics by innumerable modern writers. Many Fabians have insisted that a greater part of our political work should be performed by experts. Many legalists have declared that an untrained jury should be altogether supplanted by a trained judge. And he is very much against this. Yes. And I am too. Uh, Uh, one sec. Hey. Thank you for... Hey, Jackson! Jackson. Jackson. I'm here yeah, right. come on in. Hi. Hi. Okay. So, he says, Now, if this world of ours were really what what is called reasonable, I do not know that there would be any fault to find with this. But the true result of all experience and the true foundation of all religion is this, that the four or five things that it is most practically essential that a man should know are all of them what people call paradoxes. 
That is to say that though we all find them in life to be mere plain truths, yet we cannot easily state them in words without being guilty of a seeming verbal contradiction. One of them, for instance, is the unimpeachable platitude, that the man who finds most pleasure for himself is often the man who least hunts for it. Another is a paradox of courage, the fact that the way to avoid death is not to have too much aversion to it. Whoever is careless enough of his bones to climb some hopeless cliff above the tide may save his bones by that carelessness. Whoever will lose his life, the same shall, shall save it. An entirely practical and prosaic statement. Now, one of these four or five paradoxes which should be taught to every infant prattling to, at his mother's knee is the following, that the, man, that the more a man looks at a thing, the less he can see it, and the more a man learns a thing, the less he knows it. The Fabian argument of the expert, that the man who is trained should be the man who is trusted, would, absolutely, would be absolutely unanswerable if it were really true that a man who studied a thing and practiced it every day went on seeing more and more of its significance. But he does not. He goes on seeing less and less of its significance. In the same way, alas, we all go on every day, unless we are continually goading ourselves into gratitude and humility, seeing less and less of the significance of the sky or the stones. Now, it is a terrible business to mark a man out, of the ven out for the men vengeance of men, but it is a thing to which man a man can grow accustomed, as he can other terrible things. He can even grow accustomed to the sun. And the horrible thing about all legal officials, even the best, about all judges, magistrates, barristers, detectives, policemen, is not that they are wicked. Some of them are good. Not that they are stupid. Several of them are quite intelligent. It is simply that they have got used to it. Strictly, they do not see the prisoner in the dock. All they see is the usual man in the usual place. They do not see the awful court of judgment. They only see their workshop. Therefore, the instinct of Christian civilization has most wisely declared that into their judgments there shall, upon every occasion, be infused fresh blood and fresh thoughts from the streets. Men shall come in who, who can see the court and the crowd and the coarse faces of the policemen and the professional criminals, the wasted faces of the wastrels, the unreal faces of the gesticulating council, and see it all as one sees a new picture or a ballet hitherto unvisited. Our civilization has decided, and very justly decided, that determining the guilt or innocence of men is a thing too important to be trusted to trained men. It wishes for light upon that awful matter. It asks men who know no more law than I know, but who can feel the things that I felt in that jury box. When it wants a library catalogued, or the solar system discovered, or any trifle of that kind, it uses up its specialists. But when it wishes anything done which is really serious, it collects twelve of the ordinary men standing round. The same thing was done, if I remember right, by the founder of Christianity. Picking up twelve, uh, 12 ordinary men and yeah. taking a look at the... Yeah. Wow. Good work, Chesterton. Yeah. That's good. Makes me think of recent current events with just my own kids, you know? You just don't notice or appreciate or see how special every day is, you know? And so it takes something like the loss of it, or sometimes it takes even um, just an outsider, someone who is longing for what you have, for you to see mm. 
how good it is. Yeah. Or to remind you of the point that you were longing for that thing. Mm-hmm. The point that you're like, you're like, oh, I used to be, I forgot. Yeah. I've had this for so long. I've seen it so much. I forgot that there was a, there was a point that it, this is what I wanted more than anything in the world, you know? Yeah, like, this there's is some the... quote, something to the effect of that, you know, that, like, um, I will be grateful now for the things I have I once longed for. Mm-hmm. Something better. Yeah. I can't stay long. I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> so I think hi. we're pretty much pretty much done anyway. Yeah. We've gone about 45 minutes, a little longer than usual. Cool. Um, that's good. I mean, I don't know if it's good. I just got here, but that last time <laughs> <one> was good. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you guys. Good to see you. I actually I think about that you. with coffee a lot. I get so focused on specialty coffee mm. and the fine tunes of whatever espresso <laughs> or dialing in this region of this country by this lake, you know. Yeah. And that, like, I can walk out on the street and none of the people I see will have cared one iota of any of those details yeah <laughs> you know and then, and those are the people that are like gonna keep the shop open and running and you know currency circulating through the store so it's also about you know having to reach everybody and or the common person on the street and it's not just about how much you can know about the fine-tunedness of your mm-hmm. pre- you know the precision of your work you know yeah but i think though what you've succeeded in is you've succeeded in cultivating a passion for the product that you're selling. And again, like we were saying before, that's just based out of relationship. Like nobody cares uh, or even maybe even like should care about it. But when you are in relation with somebody and you see them doing something, you start to pick up on, on the reasons they like it, you know, and then you, you assimilate some of those, you bring some of those into yourself. You're like, Oh, I like this person and they like this thing. And so you start to, it starts to seep in, you watch them do it and yeah. then you find a, find a passion for it as well. Yeah. You can get a hold of us at <laughs> Lenny and Tyler at gmail.com. Yep. And patreon.com slash Lenny and Tyler. If you want to keep hearing these and pay us to do it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thanks everybody for listening and be good to yourselves.